What's up, everybody? Mitch Michaels here. Time for another episode of The Money Mitch Effect. Today, it's a college football discussion with a good friend of mine, Bradford Bruns. Bradford uh, is a host for 590 KFNS The Fan Radio in St. Louis, Missouri. He's covered the Blues, the Cardinals, and Missouri football, University of Missouri football, for several years. And uh, he's been a friend of mine for a long time. Geez, I've known him for uh, a while. Owe him a lot of uh, my current success uh, working with him uh, back in the St. Louis market on a couple different projects. Uh, so big thanks for him to come on the show. We're going to talk about all the big week three college football games. Uh, dive into, again, some of the betting lines, which we do on the Money Mitch Effect. Uh, we're going to go over some matchups, some upset picks, and just some general trends in the college football season. Two weeks and a big week three coming up. We also discuss some baseball playoffs a little bit at the end. Uh, his Cardinals holding on for dear life and uh, my Indians just uh, hanging in there. So we will be talking to Bradford on today's Money Mitch Effect. We'll go now to that interview. Here's my lengthy discussion with Bradford Brunt. All right, while live on the line, we have Bradford Bruns here on the uh, Money Mitch Effect. Bradford, uh, thanks for coming on the show. Mitch, it's great to be with you, sir. Congrats on the new venture, and congrats, I have to say, primarily for enduring whatever that was on the football field on Monday night. I know you're very close in proximity now to the Rams, the 49ers, the NFC West in general with respect to those two teams, but you made it, you endured. I passed along that organization from St. Louis to you, my friend, out on the West Coast, and, well, now it's your issue. Yeah, well, uh, thank you. That means a lot. Um, I should point out before I get into the intro that Bradford is from St. Louis. Yeah, he is he, based out of St. Louis, 590, the fan at KFNS, covering the Cardinals, Blues, and Missouri football over the years. And, uh, hey, it's not like I wanted this. I mean, people are, are coming up to me like, are you glad the Rams followed you? I, you know, I didn't champion this expedition. Although, if you look back in the history books, it pretty much been everywhere I've been in my life, dating back to Cleveland, where I'm originally from. So, I'm, well, hey, I'm scared to move now. You know, if the factory of sadness were to go up against the Rams on a weekly basis, one team would invariably have to prevail. So, there yeah, you go. it could be a nice series. And series, and I think it's and one last thing on the Browns before we shift to the collegiate ranks. But please, it, it takes a really bad uh, organization have a 44% chance at the number one overall pick after week one. So After week one. After That's, week one. Isn't that nuts? That's been given. So, hey, you know what? It's uh, a lot like the Niners. I think the Eagles are going to you know, find it difficult when they play real football teams. So we'll, I agree we'll, with you there. In McCown, you trust. In McCown, all, all the way. Oh, man. Well, uh, with that, we'll go to college. And, uh, you know, I know you're a big college guy, as am I. Uh, week mm-hmm. one is always an exciting time. Week two, you know, we're kind of used to some duds. Um, you know, it's, a, it's more of a letdown, a lot of the, the cupcake games. But then you get going to week three, still some non-conference games to look forward to. And uh, then you do dip into some conference games and some rare occurrences. But right. uh, the, only th- the only thing in week two I really want to talk about is that crazy ending to Oklahoma State and Central Michigan. Uh, I'm always a big Maxion guy. I really like it when they do well and just don't get thoroughly embarrassed. But I haven't. It's been a while since I've seen an ending as ridiculous as that, from the calls that led to the play to the play itself. What was your reaction? Do you think, with it being a misinterpretation of the rule, that 
that should be overturned. Fire up those chips, right? Hey, they're still celebrating, and rightfully so, yeah. at CMU. And all of this, Mitch, to be completely candid and frank on the subject, this chatter and some of the articles that are surfacing as well, circulating across the nation about how it would be the sportsmanlike thing to do for Central Michigan to even seed this victory, to have it be overturned in a sense, or to volunteer, give it away, give it back, if you will, to Oklahoma State, I think that's complete and utter malarkey. I mean, my goodness, yes, we understand that the perfect confluence of events that resulted in Central Michigan even being able to get that last untimed down off, it was the perfect storm. That's not something that you see happen with any sort of regularity. It's not likely to happen anytime soon, once again, in the near future in college football. Having said all of that, it would be akin to, yes, giving a victory away. And this happens with such on such a rare, rare basis that, for me, it's unfathomable to even consider the mere aspect of Central Michigan not just doing anything but delighting in this particular triumph. I love the fact that early on in the college football season, as you already had hinted at, you do have this opportunity for a number of different teams, a number of teams that do rise to the occasion from the lower echelon conferences, if you will. They're not just blood donor games. We saw it a great number of years ago with App State beating Michigan, taking down Michigan and Ann Arbor. And here you go with Central Michigan being able to knock off a very game Oklahoma State squad. Uh, it's unfortunate, yes, that the Cowboys were put in that position at the tail end of the proceedings. But again, let's go back to the way in which that game unfolded throughout the course, the better part of those 60 minutes. Oklahoma State should not have even, or we should say Central Michigan, should not have even been in that ball game with the Cowboys. Uh, if the Cowboys were serious, yes, about actually taking it to Central Michigan, living up to that pedigree, the hype of a top 20 style team, that shouldn't have been a ball game in the waning moments. So Mike Gundy and his ridiculous hairdo, really they have nobody to blame but themselves, quite frankly, on the subject. Yeah, and I, I did appreciate how Gundy, uh, ridiculous hairdo and all, you know, took the fall for the yeah. ill-advised play call at the end to even to not just drop back or be worried about punting it. Uh, bad calls are parts of sports, and it sucks it, for, for uh, Oklahoma State, you know, but – we can't overturn – I'm with you. I don't think we should overturn the game, and I, and I don't think that this is the time to start, you know, retroactively going back and awarding victories. Oklahoma State does have themselves to blame, and Central Michigan took advantage of, of a break. But, you know, like we talk about, breaks happen in sports. And, um, uh, yeah, I don't think – I think Oklahoma State's just, at this point, just ready to move on. And I know we live, Mitch, in a society in which everyone wants to, of course, go to Dairy Queen after the game and celebrate win, lose, or draw, and we want to have the warm fuzzies. We want to have the warm fuzzies following the proceedings. But you know what? It just doesn't work out that way. And even today, in particular, even more so due to the nature of the general setup of the college football season and everything building to that crescendo of the college football playoff, it is what it is. It happened. You're never even in this particular circumstance if, as we've basically noted, Mason Rudolph simply runs around for a few seconds, falls down. That's it. Doesn't force a pass. We're not even talking about all this. But on one hand, I am grateful that we are because that was an absolutely spellbinding finish in a week two that, quite frankly, was a bit lacking in terms of the overall dramatics. Week one out of this world. Wasn't sure the week two could even come close to living up to that, and the slate of games certainly didn't do the week itself any favors. But I think we're setting up for a pretty nice week three as well, both on the conference side of things and certainly with the non-conference tilts to boot. 
Well, it certainly does look like it as we, you know, get into week three. And um, I didn't know, you know, with the warm and fuzzies comment, have you been hanging out with Mike Leach recently? Well, I've got to be honest, perhaps, you know, we set about trying to pillage a pirate ship or two. And, you know, hey, it's been a while since you were around. So yeah, there's some things yeah. I have to update you on. Yeah, I feel, I feel like I missed out. Definitely. Um, but, yeah, let's, let's talk about week three. Uh, there's some big games, and I'm, you know, always wanting to check out the lines for some of the games that we can look at as well. But you know, it starts uh, tomorrow night, a big game between Houston and Cincinnati. Now, I'm, I'm big on Houston. The big win over Oklahoma. Um, they're going to be favored up until at least maybe up until the Louisville game. But other than that, every game the rest of the season. And this is a team with playoff aspirations. But yeah. You know, in, your, in your honest opinion, do you think Cincinnati has what it takes to pull off the upset? They put up a lot of points on them last year. Due to the fact that this game is at home, Mitch, I think it's going to be tighter than a lot of people would envision. Having said that, number six Houston, and for good reason, really in a lot of different respects, took it to Oklahoma in week one. That wasn't a particularly close affair. Really established itself as a team with which to be reckoned on a national scale should Houston run the table until the back end of the schedule, I don't think there's any possible way. I don't care what the strength of schedule will say. I don't think there's any possible way you could deny this team an opportunity to play, to compete in the college football playoff. Cincinnati did, as you referenced, certainly make it a real game last season. That was a 33-30 to shootout against the Bearcats. Here's what I like, though, when you're talking about the upcoming tilt. The fact that Greg Ward Jr., yes, he sat out last week with the shoulder injury. For Houston, Houston could afford to do precisely that because you want to get him as ready as possible to go up against this Cincinnati defense. Hey, Bearcats defense, it's getting a fair amount of love, but coming off a Big Ten victory at Purdue, winning over the Boilermakers in the year 2016, I don't know if you can really hang your hat on that, if you will. Yeah, we get it. Both teams are 2-0 since he's got the home field advantage, but that Cougars offense you simply cannot bet against it at this point. And for me, the line really isn't high enough. I am rolling with Houston, and I am rolling with Houston all the way into the playoff, my friend. The yeah, only six-point favorites. And I, and I respect Gunnar Keel, what he can do with this Cincinnati offense and them being a quality team. But I was pretty bullish on Houston before I saw how Greg Ward's throwing the ball this year yeah. as opposed to uh, running, which he's always able to do, throwing it much better. But I'm not going to bet against Tom Herman in a in a conference game. I'm just not gonna I'm just not gonna do it. I think no, no. coach and uh, and however long he stays at Houston, I hope it's uh, a decent amount of time. But too good a coach, too good a program. I think they're gonna roll as well. By the way, wasn't Gunnar Keel enrolled at Cincinnati when you were still residing in Ohio? It I seems it seems that long. He he has been there a very long time. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, and usually it's a basketball player thing. It's like the, yeah. you know, the, the uh, Aaron Kraft syndrome, as I like to call it, where yes. you feel in college forever. Mm-hmm. Um, but we might have to change that to Richie Baker from Wichita State because I felt like he was there for you know, a good part of a decade. But yeah, like it's it. just, he's been there a while. But uh, if we move along to another game, Florida State and Louisville, that, that game now has really shot up the attention charts in the last couple weeks with, A, how Florida State's looked starting with that second half at all Miss and never letting up uh, sure. last week. But Louisville, what Lamar Jackson's done, there are some questions with their defense that we'll get into. But Louisville, Florida State, at Louisville, game day is going. They're saying the biggest game that Louisville football has ever had 
three-point game, three-point line. Some have it about two, one and a half even. What do you think about this one going into it? Yeah, I don't think you can dispute that in terms of the buildup, Mitch, whatsoever. And for Louisville, I was very bullish on the Cardinals prior to the beginning of the season, and certainly nothing in the first two weeks of action would dissuade me from continuing to operate along those lines. Listen, I absolutely love Lamar Jackson. You look at just the numbers period and the fact that he's averaging by himself 507 yards per game. Not a lot of people were perhaps looking at him as a potential Heisman candidate before the start of the season. They knew about the talent. They knew about the upside. But what we've seen, the manifestation of results in the first two weeks, it's been something to behold. Having said that, you think about how Louisville, you think about how Lamar Jackson, his ability to be that dual-threat quarterback, the ability to get to the outside, gain the edge, how is it going to play against the Seminoles and the athleticism on defense? Think about Florida State in week number one. Yes, gave up 35 points, I believe, to Ole Miss. But by the same token, absolutely, that defensive line ate Chad Kelly's lunch repeatedly. It's par for the course when you think about a Jimbo Fisher coach team, the interior of that line, the edge rushers on a year-in, year-out basis that they were able to churn out through campus there. And what I really find fascinating is that you're talking about week three, of course, and you're talking about already – what essentially amounts to an elimination game in the ACC Atlantic. It's at Papa John Stadium. You've got Louisville, of course, with the home field advantage. But for me, it becomes a matter of how revelatory can DeAndre Francois continue to be. All the preseason hype for this team for FSU went to Dalvin Cook, and rightfully so. But this guy coming out of, well, I don't want to say coming out of nowhere, but snaring that job from McGuire, taking the reins, also having perhaps the greatest name in the history of college football. Love what he's been able to do. That signal caller battle, that's going to be one that will be looked at, I think, as the season goes along as a potential classic in the making. Both guys pretty young, pretty raw. You're going to see some mistakes, but the excitement factor there, I just, I don't know if I can quite go out on that limb yet and take number 10 Louisville to beat Florida State. I understand that it's in the backyard there of Louisville, but I need to see a little bit more against top-tier competition before I can commit to Jackson and company over Florida State. Right, and that's why I think I mean the line getting down to one-and-a-half points is kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, when, when you look at this game, and I, I do like Lamar Jackson. I want him to show out, and I think he'll start the game pretty well. But it goes back to their defense for me. Uh, well, uh, under the radar underperformance was what their defense did against Syracuse last week. You know, mm-hmm. getting kind of pushed around. I think Florida State's going to be too much for them on that side of the ball. And then you might start to see Lamar Jackson start pressing, you know, start to feel like he has to score a little too much, and that's when the mistakes will come in. But you're, you said it. I mean, that offense is well-rounded now. The defensive line is huge. And give credit to Jimbo Fisher for a lot of things. I mean, we're talking on the field. I mean, I, this is actually kind of an interesting game for off-field coaching activities between Bobby Petrino and uh, Jimbo Fisher. Oh, yes, but you I, don't think. <laughs> but I definitely think that he figures teams out. We saw it at Ole Miss. They make adjustments at halftime better than anyone. I like Florida State to pull away late, and uh, I, I hope it's competitive. But Florida State, I, I think they have to be considered, given Clemson's struggles, the, the front runner right now in the ACC. I mean, I just as of right now, they look like the dominant team in that conference. No, they truly do, and that's the thing, Mitch. When you think about the way in which Clemson has gone about its business or has not been authoritative whatsoever in the first couple of weekends of action, I'll give Auburn credit, okay? I think that program 
it's going to be markedly better in 2016, and you win by six points at Auburn week one. It's a wild and wacky set of events. Okay, I get that. I'll give that to you. I'll concede. Then you come out in week two, though, and you beat Troy at home by six. You beat Troy by six. I wouldn't want to be South Carolina State this week, and that's all I'm going to say. would not want to be South Carolina State. That that October 29th game, I, I still believe, fully believe, that Clemson is going to be unscathed heading into that contest. But now, going into Florida State, yeah, you've still got a few weeks in the interim. I understand that. But while I felt very, very confident, supremely confident, in fact, about the Tigers at the tail end of October going to Florida State and still taking care of business, now with a few weeks left to ruminate on it, not nearly as certain. Right. And you know what? I think this game, especially for Florida State, and well, this week for Clemson and Florida State is big, because Florida State right now at the AP poll is ranked two. Uh, but, the, but the coaches poll, what's interesting, still giving uh, Clemson love at the top. If Florida mm-hmm. State puts something on Louisville, I don't think I, I really think it's out of Clemson's hands. I think you'll see them win over a lot of the coaches' poll votes uh, in that regard. Um, you know, the ACC is an interesting is an interesting uh, conference this year. I think it's actually good. I think we're starting to see more quality teams. But I, I'm in that camp of not giving it to Clemson. I know they made the t- title game last year and Deshaun Watson's back. But, you know, Florida State's a darn good team. And Clemson, for whatever reason, just hasn't put it together. Now, there's still time and there's still you know, these teams all have to play each other. But I, I like what Florida State's doing. Um, you mentioned Clemson, Bradford. There's, as we look at the ACC, anybody else outside that big three bunch um, that you think could – you know, have an impact. I know I did come across uh, something you wrote on North Carolina. Are they a team that could maybe put something together after a close loss to Georgia in week one? Well, you read my mind there, and there were a lot of things I, I believe Mitch to like about the performance in week one. The game was not in Athens, of course. A lot of people may overlook that just perusing the general box score that game was at the Georgia Dome, and Georgia has enough of its own faults, and we'll probably talk a little bit more as we go along about a test, a legitimate test. I do believe that Georgia has this coming weekend going to Mizzou. Granted, Mizzou knocks off an Eastern Michigan squad that isn't going to frighten absolutely anyone at the FCS level for that matter. But Mizzou showing some offensive fireworks there in Georgia last weekend versus Nickel State. Hmm, better to just pass on over that one. But the Tar Heels, when you yeah. think about prolific offenses across the nation, and I understand that maybe there are more question marks this fall because Trubisky is taking over at quarterback. Williams is never or no longer there, I should say, at the helm calling the shots. However, when you talk about guys like Switzer at wide receiver, when you talk about the threats they have on the outside, and then one of the best backs as well, the most supreme backs in the nation, to me, North Carolina is still a team with which to be reckoned down the stretch. Lost that game, gave up a lot of points against the Bulldogs in week one. It's going to take some more time for Larry Fedora to get specifically his defense where it needs to be. And we understand that, yes, that was the primary quandary even last season when North Carolina was able to have a banner year in Chapel Hill. It is still about the defense. That offense is going to be as dangerous as they come in the ACC in the months of October, November, getting the defense to still round into form. Yes, it's a question mark, but I do like North Carolina. However, you said it. There's the big three in the ACC, and then I don't want to say everyone else, but North Carolina is operating on that tier just below. Don't want to say like a second-class citizen of sorts, but still a little bit of work to do to catch up to the Louisville's and certainly Clemson's Florida State's 
of the conference. It wouldn't surprise me, though, to see the Heels be able to sort of maybe operate on the periphery and eventually get into that rarefied air as we edge closer to December. And let's be honest, you know, the Coastal Conference is significantly weaker, to put it mildly. So this team could be a team that gets right back into the ACC championship game and only has to beat one of those to win the conference title. I really Uh, liken it. I really liken it to the SEC East in a lot of ways. I mean, that is not a far-off comparison. No, it's not. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm mildly pulling for North Carolina. Just, you know, a little-known fact that I'm going to drop on you right now. Oh. Mitch Mitch Trubisky from the same hometown as me. Is that right? Enter Ohio, yeah. So us men are Mitches, you know, we got to kind of stick together. (laughs) I like it. I like it. Well, I will look forward to hearing him on your program as we get closer to maybe a, a real run for the Tar Heels down the stretch. I don't want to put an undue amount of pressure on you. I know it's early in the existence of this endeavor, but yeah, let's just say that it has to happen. I'm going to try, you know, he's a little younger than me though. That's the, that's the problem of, uh, you know, being out of the game for a while. Uh, so okay. The reputation we'll, we'll precedes you. We'll try to do that. Here we are now on the uh, money Mitch effect and we're, you know, I'm, we always talk, Bradford, uh, about the gambling side of things, and there's usually a game every week where I look at and think, you know, this could be the the one where I like the team with the points to maybe even win outright. And uh-huh. I got one game in particular I'm looking at, and it's Michigan State Notre Dame. Ooh. Michigan mm. State is, you know, they travel to they travel to Notre Dame for a night game, but Michigan State getting as many as eight to ten points, they're ranked they higher top ten team versus top twenty team. Getting like double digit points, I, I I always lean there if I think there's a chance. I, I don't know. I think this could be upset special. What do you think? I don't disagree with you at all. In fact, as I was getting ready to come on with you, Mitch, I was looking at some of the rather staggering numbers and lines and totals out there. And to me, that's just a ridiculous number when you're talking about the number by which, of course, Notre Dame is favored heading into this particular contest. And I understand that the game is back at South Bend. I understand that Notre Dame looked markedly better in week number two. And I'm not even willing to sit here and basically say, hey, you know what? I fault Notre Dame for the week one loss versus Texas. I think that any number of teams across the nation are going to have an extremely difficult time, especially in the first half of the schedule, being able to him in contain the one, two, the two headed monster at quarterback for the Longhorns. This is what I like about Notre Dame right now. Through the first two weeks of the season, offense, obviously not a problem. 444 total yards exactly in each of the first two games. You know that Kaiser's going to do his thing. The outright number one now, that to me was no surprise. And I really like the fact that they were able to run for 239 on the ground versus the Wolfpack. I don't know, though, if I can say in good faith, yes, this team can win by potentially double digits against Michigan State. Michigan State, for me, last week already having the bye, I know it's just week two. But for me, that is huge, being able to have that slight amount of extra time to prepare for Notre Dame, to prepare for that offense. And, yeah, I have some misgivings, certainly, about what Sparty can do on offense. Tyler O'Connor, he comes in, he's trying to replace Connor Cook. He's had some years in the system, but he's had no tangible, concrete reps, if you will. Still, that defense, the calming card perennially for the Michigan State program. I really think that well into the fourth quarter, this team is going to be in the game. I'm not saying that they're going to spring the outright upset, but I think that at the very least, Mitch, you have the Spartans being able to stay within a touchdown of Notre Dame in what should be one of the best games, bar none, on the Week 3 schedule. 
Right, and and I I agree. The Kaiser's a player. You know, he he's a stud, and I really don't know what took Brian Kelly so long to name him as number one guy. Um, yeah, that it just it it blows my mind. Even last year when they almost blew that game against uh, was that Georgia Tech, yeah. where he came and won the game down the down the stretch. He was throwing a great great ball then, and I get he was really young you know, at the time, not a starter, not ready, very raw, but he looked good against Texas. He had to look good in the in the preseason. I, I just don't know, but I mean, I think that's part of the betting line factor is the betters are, and the odds makers are saying, okay, Kaiser's in, they're ready to roll. This is a better, more polished team. They got the loss out of their system. Mm-hmm. But Mark Antonio is, in my opinion, one of the top five coaches in the country. He knows how to get his team up for a big game. I'm just uh, that's way too many points for a for a coach and for a team that. At the root of what they do, play good defense, keep the game close, and give themselves a chance. For me, and I'm leaning towards Michigan State to win outright, but for me, for them to even not even cover the spread, I think it would have to be a self-destruct type deal. (laughs) I really do. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And Jim Harbaugh, his arrival in Ann Arbor, almost in a sense, Mitch, sort of pushed, I don't want to say in a way marginalized D'Antonio, but still, when you think about the upper echelon coaches in the country, yes, I think you can make the argument there, certainly that the Big Ten possesses three of the top five in Urban Meyer and Jim Harbaugh. If you want to go there already, I don't think that it would be a huge stretch to say that, and certainly the work that Mark has been able to perform at Michigan State, too, and it's interesting because this matchup, these, these two teams are actually meeting for the first time, I believe, since 2013, had played each other for years and years and years and 50 years ago actually it was the so-called game of the century I don't think I'm willing to go with the hyperbole to that degree here but a lot of hype is definitely warranted and it will be a gem yeah and it's nice I mean Brian Kelly and Mark D'Antonio certainly a step up from the Charlie Weiss John L. Smith days when it was Mm -hmm. as far a game of the century as you could get just a tad I'm looking forward to this game. It's kind of under the radar given what else is going on this weekend. But all right, let's. Uh, I'm going to take my you know impartial hat off and put my fan hat on. Do it. The Ohio Oklahoma preview. Do it. So this is a game, obviously, for the Buckeyes. But you could definitely argue way more important for Oklahoma because what we're looking at here and in the Big 12 as a whole, Oklahoma loses this game, Bradford. They'll have two non-conference losses, pretty much done from the playoff, and the Big 12. It will be reeling, in my opinion, because their their pride and joy will have gotten potentially decimated on the outside. I mean, do you agree? Is this a bigger game for Oklahoma? It is a much bigger game for Oklahoma. It is a much bigger game, Mitch, for the Big 12 at large. I won't say that last week in Fort Worth it was a devastating loss for TCU, but you're still talking about one of the well-regarded programs, obviously, for that conference, losing to an SEC team in Arkansas that was barely able to get by Louisiana Tech. Heck, it required a rally midway through the fourth quarter to get by Louisiana Tech in its opener. Arkansas comes in, knocks off TCU in TCU's backyard in overtime. The Big 12, yeah, a lot of people, certainly, they're talking, and with good reason, about the SEC faltering to this point in the proceedings, not being that sharp early on. Well, the Big 12, certainly no great shakes, really, in relation to that conference. And throw you, conceivably, yes, to maybe fall to one and two after the course of three games with all of the preseason hype, all of the Heisman hype as well, surrounding Baker Mayfield. I think that it's absolutely critical for the Sooners to try to hold court out there in Norman, but Given the way that Ohio State has played in the first couple of weeks, Mitch, you've got 
blue blood programs all across the country looking relatively mortal. You've got some teams suffering slip-ups. You have some teams, i.e. Clemson, just not looking up to par. And then you have the Buckeyes. They don't care that they only have six starters from 2015 returning to the freight. They don't care whatsoever that, hey, you know what? They probably embrace the fact that there's no longer any sort of controversy under center. JT Barrett looks absolutely great. Cardale Jones is gone. Barrett, I would argue, looks even that much more emboldened. And as much as you want to talk about the offense, and the offense has looked fantastic, give some depth to that defense, too, where you only have three guys returning, one in the secondary. There is a true freshman back there, Malik Hooker, who is absolutely just doing unbelievable damage. He has three picks already, picked off two passes in the game versus Tulsa, and then last week, too, did even more damage. I love what Ohio State is doing right now. I love the fact that two games through the schedule really setting that emphatic tone, and there's no sort of apathy, make no mistake about it, surrounding the program this year. Last year, burdened by expectations, perhaps just unable to live up to the massive hype. Something was off for the majority of the campaign. This year, though, you've got an influx of new talent. You've got an influx of fresh, hungry personalities contributing to that core, and it just does feel like more of a cumulative combined effort. I love Ohio State. I don't even know, quite frankly, if well into the second half, the Sooners are going to be able to stay in this game. I think Ohio State will go on the road and maybe not have its way, but certainly have a commanding performance yet again and find itself at 3-0. Right. Well, you know, a couple things. First, in, in regards to last year, you know, I agree with you. They were off for a better part of the season. And I think in sports, when you win a championship, that tends to, as we know, inflate some egos. Mm-hmm. And there, was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of egos in that locker room last year. And I think it all boiled to a head when they lost to a good, but probably not as talented, I think we can agree, on Michigan State team. No doubt. Uh, which caused them to do some soul searching and came out with and they came out with a vendetta against Michigan, you know, the following week. But what you see this year is a lot of younger guys that haven't proven a lot with the exception of Barrett obviously, but a lot of younger guys that are ready to that are ready to go, ready to roll uh, as Matthew McConaughey says let it rip right now. Um, and I, I really liked what this offense is doing. Uh, you mentioned you mentioned JT Barrett. I, I'm I'm on the the train, obviously, as an Ohio State fan, but I think that Barrett is your is your dark horse Heisman potential. Yeah. Because and I use the logic as this, you know, the, the big three names coming out this year were obviously McCaffrey, Fournette, and Watson. But you know, in that offense, Barrett's going to get the touches, he's going to put up the numbers, and they're probably going to win some games. So at the very least, I think he has the lowest floor of any of those guys, and I think he has the. Uh, ability under Urban Meyer to continue to just always be a factor week in, week out, provided he can stay on the field. And, yeah, Mitch, benefiting his individual hopes and accolades there even further, I don't know if this is great for the program as a whole. I believe, at least from my perspective, you're a little more tuned into the situation there in Columbus, Columbus, obviously, but Ohio State is still searching for potentially that lead workhorse bell cow kind of back there in the backfield there is no Ezekiel Elliott you're still trying to figure out exactly how there's going to be that distribution of touches and during the interim you know JT Barrett is the guy he's going to be the trigger man it is on him I don't want to say solely but it's certainly going to be incumbent on him to really orchestrate the finer points the nuances of the offense and things are going to evolve in Ohio State will do what Ohio State does and figure out who's going to be toting the rock with more regularity down the stretch. That's going to happen. That's going to play out inevitably as the Big Ten 
portion of the schedule goes along. But in the here and now, yeah, it's Barrett's show, unmistakably so. And from an individual standpoint, yeah, that's going to reflect really, really well on him as 2015 progresses. Right. Uh, at the running back position, I do like Mike Weber, the uh, redshirt freshman that's starting. There, there's some buzz there. I, I mean, obviously not Ezekiel Elliott yet, but same buzz that was a around Ezekiel when he was getting his touches his red you know his freshman year uh-huh. um, so we're optimistic there but look the, the game opened this week the betting lines opened as Oklahoma one point favorite and uh, that quickly changed to Ohio State as some of them the smart money as I like to say came in uh, I'm with you there and I'm not gonna we talk about looking at coaches if, if you want to coach in a big game would you rather have Urban Meyer or Bob Stoops I mean I couldn't even say that sentence without laughing toward the end of it well, I don't know, because the latter is apparently bulletproof no matter what. <laughs> yeah, longest tenured coach in college football. I saw that stat this year, this uh, week. I couldn't believe it. How much 18... longer does it last? How, how much longer does it last? I mean, I don't, yeah, I don't know. And, and we're looking at a – you know what? It helps if the conference is going down. He could say, I'm still running, you know, doing well in the conference. But if that's your new standard, your new uh, expectation, all right. But, you know, I, I'm with you. I mean – it does seem like he finds a way to win right when he's at the end of his rope, but yeah. he can't get them past, you know, that, that uh, glass ceiling, so to speak. No, and I definitely think you struck a chord as well with respect to the general assessment of the Big 12 right now. I would argue that the Big 12, in terms of elite, elite teams, is as vulnerable as it has been in any number of years. Yeah, you've got some great high-powered aerial attacks, but when push comes to shove, so to speak, and you get into the college football playoff, you get into these matchups in which the Big 12 powerhouses or alleged titans actually have to go up against, oh, I don't know, reputable defenses. You see the vast divide, the big chasm there between what the Big 12 has to offer and the SEC, even I would say the ACC, the Pac-12 in some cases. And yet, there you go. For Oklahoma, that's the deal. If you're Bob Stoops right now and you are Oklahoma, for me, if you're going to lay a claim, to supremacy there in that conference, well, bar none, you better be essentially, you better have the Big 12 spot in that college football playoff. You need to have one of those four spots every year. Otherwise, for me, with the mammoth expectations there and the lack of a national title of late, I just, I, I can't really fathom it. But hey, you know, good for you, Norman. <laughs> I know, it's uh, it's expectations. You know, everybody has their own opinion on that. But, wow, yeah. And before we leave the Big Ten, just a quick note, Bradford. We've seen what Michigan's doing. We've seen, you mentioned Harbaugh earlier as a top-five coach. Reluctantly, I would agree with that. Um, <laughs> just reluctantly as somebody terrified that they're going to be good again. But without having been tested, are you on board with Michigan as a big-time contender this year, or do you think it's going to take a couple more recruiting classes? Big-time contender, Mitch, for me this season, I know. It, and it's going, to, it's going to hurt a little bit. I'm not trying to rub salt in the wound or anything like that. And I, I don't think, let's put it this way, First two weeks of the season down, yes, also Rams, Michigan takes care of business. You would expect Harbaugh's crew to do precisely that. October the 29th, I'm looking forward to that one at Michigan State. That game in Lansing is going to be a dandy between the Spartans, obviously, and the Wolverines. Until that point, though, I don't know how much more you learn about Michigan and for the Michigan faithful. Perhaps that's a good thing because right now there are a lot of mumblings, there are a lot of rumblings about, okay, what exactly – is going to happen here with the running game. We're not exactly tearing teams like Central Florida, for instance, to shreds on the ground. We're barely getting 
over 100 yards. What's the deal there? Well, the play-action passing game is still working, though, and it's still working with a plum, even though Rudock has moved on to the NFL with the Detroit Lions. They're getting good quarterback play, and I do firmly believe that the offensive line is going to round into terrific shape anytime, Mitch. You have just a number of fifth-year seniors. They've got three fifth-year seniors and a junior on that offensive line. Harbaugh, in the latter portion of the season, he's going to rely on that group to absolutely pound the football, be a bunch of road graders when the going gets tough in the Big Ten schedule. I think they have enough threats, enough vertical threats as well once in a while to stretch that field. No qualms about the defense. Michigan is legit already, and I don't honestly know if there is an L on that schedule until late November going into that game that you just, uh, I, I don't know, you've had a circle on the calendar since. When was that game even announced? When was the date announced? Because you were probably just waiting right there with your red handy-dandy pen in hand. You know you know exactly when that game is going to be every year and just look at the schedule, you know, based on how they play. But, no, I mean, I think Harbaugh is a great coach. He's a great motivator. He gets the most out of his players. He's turned that program around like I thought he would. And, honestly, it's better for the rivalry and for the sport that Ohio State-Michigan matters and looks like it's going to be for a spot in the playoff just about every year for the next decade. Yeah. But I'm I'm more cautious, not as a Michigan hater, but just from the outside that I think Harbaugh needs another year to develop all of his players, stack another recruiting class. And the quarterback position, I know he's a maestro, but that's that's what will terrify me because it's going to happen when he gets his guy, his high school senior, you know, his All-American that comes yeah. in there, and he sets him up to succeed. That's the Michigan team I'm scared of. This, this year's team could beat Ohio State and go to the playoff, but what's scarier is I think they're – there's more progress in store. You know, it's okay, it's a, hey, it's okay to confess your fears to your audience. You know, that makes you more human and more relatable. Yeah. So, I also know it's better than laying on a couch or something, you know, telling <laughs> a shrink. But, um, all right, now on the Money Mitch Effect, we're going to go to the SEC. Uh, I wanted to briefly talk about the perception that they are struggling. Maybe it is reality. We have Alabama that's doing Alabama-like things, Bradford, but the rest of the conference is kind of stuck in neutral would probably be the right word. There have been a few embarrassing losses. There have been some non-conference wins, but the bigger thing that I'm seeing are some unimpressive, downright ugly wins. How do you assess what the SEC has done through two weeks? No, that's very true. And when you look at the unbelievable divide there from the East to the West, for me, it's almost natural to focus specifically on the latter, do nothing but focus on the latter because the SEC East, in a sense, is really a non-entity right now. And that's not to act as if before the season commenced, hey, you had all sorts of expectations surrounding some of the lower-tier teams on that side of the conference in that division. Of course, Tennessee, this season, everyone under the sun believed that the Volunteers would take that proverbial next step, and then what happens in week number one, barely escaping in overtime for crying out loud, and then having the big game, the big marquee game at a racetrack, Bristol Motor Speedway, but still some largely unimpressive performances, and it begins and ends always, yet again, with Alabama. And I think that, quite frankly, you could play quarterback for that team. I could slide in, take a few reps for that team. It's not going to matter. It's not even going to necessarily matter who's on the outside or he's, who's even taking the ball in the gut coming out of the backfield because, yet again, Nick Saban has found a way to replenish all the talent that he lost, the myriad of players he lost, to the NFL 
in the trenches, yet again, there's no team that is more commanding, that is more strong, that is more forceful on a week-in, week-out basis than Alabama. And it's fun to point and kind of laugh after the fact and have some fun with, on a weekly basis, Nick Saban's tirades when he's still beating the Western Kentuckys of the world, some of the little sisters of the poor, for instance, by 20 to 30 points and still not having a good enough time in doing so and demolishing these teams. It's fun, but that is the standard. They're the standard bearers of excellence in college football, and that's what I love so much about being able to follow relatively closely a program like that. But having said that, beyond Alabama, when you try to really broaden the scope and go across the SEC West even, and you think about a lot of the teams with holes, obviously, on their respective resumes and holes inside of the program. You think about LSU, and LSU already having fallen in week one. You think about even, for instance, going to Auburn. You think about Ole Miss already with a loss on its schedule, too, albeit to Florida State. A lot of teams that have not been able to adhere to the expectations that we set out for them before the start of the season, and perhaps it's a little unfair every single season to expect the SEC, especially the West, to be the cream of the crop. But you know what? That is what is expected when you come to have that success on a yearly, routine basis. And I think that the SEC West, the SEC in general, Mitch, it's going to look much better when you flash forward in a few weeks, when you see that patented brand of football, when you really see some of that smash-mouth stuff going on. I think that the cream is going to rise to the top right there. But, yeah, right now there are a lot of teams that look very, very susceptible when you're talking about anyone other than Alabama at the moment. So still, though, if you were to press me right now and say, all right, who exactly, what, what conference out there in the nation has the best opportunity to maybe send a couple of teams to the college football playoff when late December, when early January rolls around, I'm still not going to bet against the SEC and maybe call it an arrogance factor or what have you, but I've seen it too many times before and a couple of weeks of relatively slow play to begin the campaign, hey, it's not going to steer me away from actually going with them, siding with them ultimately in the end. Right. Um, you know, and I do appreciate that. I think I have a good, you know, halfback toss. I think I can line up a few snaps there and hand it off to, uh, you know, hand it off to the running backs and get out of the way. I think Nick would appreciate that. Um, and last week's game against Alabama, we saw him like the tirade you mentioned blow up at Lane Kiffin or the Alabama Western Kentucky game. Um, Interesting to note, though, at the time that Western Kentucky was getting uh, 29 points in that game and Alabama won by 28. So I wonder why Lane Kiffin did call a pass play in that huh? situation. Interesting. You've got to think about that sort of thing. But now you're right. Alabama's a standard bearer for excellence. And excellence, and actually, the better they look when we get the conference schedule would, would have that effect of making the rest of the conference not look as well. But uh-huh. I still think there's great football there. I still think um, – the rest of the conference, you know, the SEC East, there's those question marks. I'm still not ready to say Tennessee or Florida is ready to take the next step and be contenders until I see it on the field. And, you know, as of right now, we haven't. But if we go into this Alabama-Mississippi game, Bradford, at Mississippi, they beat Alabama two years in a row. Eight and a half points is all Alabama's getting, number one versus number 19. Can Chad Kelly do the uh, unthinkable for the second straight year, or uh, is this game going to be as ugly as some people are predicting? Well, I'm going to say, and obviously this was the case, Mitch, last season that was an anomaly in the grand scheme of things for Alabama because you think about what the Tuscaloosa-based program was able to do and then running the table, getting into the college football playoff and winning the whole thing again 
for Coach Saban, hey, I have all the confidence in the world in Chad Kelly's abilities when he's not taking on Alabama. And there's only so much yet. He's going to have, I'm sure, a Herculean effort this weekend. He's going to do everything he can. The Rebels, though, quite frankly, just from top to bottom, I don't see as much depth. I don't see as much overall strength right now in week three as I did, say, even last season, for example. I don't think that it's going to be particularly close. If Alabama doesn't win by well into double digits, I would frankly be shocked at this point. I think that Alabama, the entire group, is going to take on Saban's personality, his characteristics, and winning by 28 points against the Western Kentucky. That clearly isn't good enough. Lane Kiffin knows it's clearly not good enough. On both sides of the football, I don't care if it's at Brian Diddy Stadium. I think you're going to see utter domination from the Crimson Tide. I think you're going to see utter domination for the better part of the 2016 campaign. I just think that's how it's going to be in this season. Before the year even started, I wasn't prepared to say head and shoulders above the rest of the class. That's where Alabama is. But based on some initial results, just results, some initial reports, some buzz, you know, stemming from spring, going through summer and the early fall practices, Alabama, again, hey, you know, just replenishing those skill positions, the talent year after year. It is a dynasty, in a sense, when you're talking about the collegiate game and everybody else is still racing, trying, striving in vain, for the most part, to really catch up to Bama. And they're not ready to take a backseat to anybody. So Ole Miss, uh-huh. be ready. You know, it, I'm sure it will be entertaining for a quarter or so, and then, the inevitable is going to set in. Reality is going to set in, and it's going to be a rather depressing weekend. Right. And you know, Mississippi, uh, we thought they looked good early against Florida State, but it's kind of a, a trend that I've noticed even dating back to last year. Teams start to make adjustments, and I don't know if it's Chad Kelly, the offense, or if the moment gets too big for them, but I could see a similar trend happening where the second half is where Bama comes out and becomes the Alabama that we know. And look, Ole Miss lost a lot of talent on both sides of the ball from a year ago. Saban, he's ready for this game. He hasn't lost to a team three times in a row since he was back at Michigan State. You know, So I don't think he wants that to happen, and I think he's ready to come out and put it on Ole Miss and keep, you know, make sure there's no doubt in anybody's mind that they are still the standard bearer in college football. I think that's a fantastic, astute point about Kelly's occasional, at the very least, inability to be able to thrive as much in the second halves of games. And again, who's better at making those halftime adjustments than the man over on the sidelines for Alabama? That's the scariest thing of all if you're an Ole Miss supporter. Exactly. Well, we're going to wrap our college uh, football talk going around just the week. And I'm going to throw out some games here and you can – you know, tell me a little rapid fire if you think there's any upset potential here. Uh, with some games that might look tasty to some on the uh, on the odds lines, we'll start with uh, ABC. Last year on ABC at noon Eastern time, Temple and Penn State. Now, Temple beat them last year. Penn State's an eight-point favorite and hasn't exactly looked sharp so far. Very true. The Nittany Lions at home, though, I really like their prospects, Mitch, of being able to actually pull it off by double digits on this occasion and it's funny because a year or so ago maybe less than a a year really temple was such a a critical darling or a national darling you know being able to sort of surface out of nowhere and being able to put together a great campaign and this year when you go from being a really upstart team a team that is taking a lot of other programs by surprise to having more of a heralded reputation and then trying to build on what you did in the prior season and making that into a ritual, kind of a staple 
for your program. It is going to be a much harder climb, I believe, than perhaps a lot of people around that university actually believe. And Penn State, yes, Penn State, there's no doubt about it. Not without its fair share of concerns, too, but getting that game at home, for me, it's critical for Penn State to be able to dominate physically. I still think that Penn State has the horses to be able to do precisely that. And you will see a better offensive performance. You'll just see a more well-rounded performance period from Penn State as you get closer to the Big Ten schedule as well. Nobody's expecting them to be able to make a lot of waves, I believe, Mitch, in the conference as it really ramps up. But in a game like this against Temple, I'm still not sold on Temple's ability to do it consistently, to follow up on what it achieved during 2015. I'll take Penn State in that game. I'll take Penn State by roughly 13 to 14, I'd say. I think Penn State's going to win. I'm just not sure. Well, they should cover, but they haven't looked like a, uh, a, a competent team all season. Hey, Franklin yeah. might not have a job if they lose this game on Monday. Um, I'm throwing that out That's there. Fair. Uh, that could be a possibility. We could be our in coaching firing season already. But, uh, you know, it's the in-state rivalry. We know anything can happen. But I agree Penn State should be the team to look at in that game. Uh, two Pac-12 games that caught my interest, both one-point games. Oregon is getting a point at Nebraska. UCLA is giving a point at BYU. Pac-12 uh, got, got some interesting tilt this week. Yeah, very much so. And for the Ducks, too, when you talk about the prospect of, of facing off with Nebraska, and I understand that right now situation in the Pacific Northwest, it's it's not the same, obviously, as it was a couple of years ago. There's not the same amount of pomp and circumstances, the same amount of fanfare, and other teams, candidly, have passed the Ducks by. When you're talking about the standard bears, we'll keep going back to that term of the Pac-12 right now. You're talking about other teams. You're talking about a Stanford first. You're talking about Coach Shaw's team rather than an Oregon. Now, that isn't to say, though, that Oregon still isn't a very, very dangerous team and can explode on a whim. And I think that's exactly what the Ducks are primed to do against the Huskers. I don't think that the Huskers are particularly strong this year in the Big Ten. I don't think that, once again, we talked about Penn State probably not making a lot of ways, creating a lot of commotion down the stretch in the schedule. I don't think that applies to the Huskers either. I like Oregon in this contest. I don't really care about the venue. I think that Oregon could also push for a double-digit victory in that particular tilt. And as for the other game that was referenced, I mean, goodness gracious, when you think about week one, for one Josh Rosen, and you think about all of the attention and the praise that was lavished on the signal caller for the Bruins before this season even began, and to go out in week number one versus Texas A&M and basically cough it up and throw three interceptions and get everybody worked up into a lather over who might be the next number one pick in a couple of years in the NFL draft. Hey, he settled down the previous week, and I still think that there are some flaws in his game. There are some flaws inherently with Jim Moore's squad right now at the moment, but I still like UCLA a lot. I don't like the Bruins as much as, say, a Stanford as much as even a couple of the other powerhouses there in the Pac-12 for that matter, too. But UCLA is also going to fall, I believe, Mitch, into that category of schools that will consistently get better as the season progresses. With a weekly basis, when you think about Rosen, the raw talent, the sheer talent is there. It's on display. We know it. It's not debatable. But 
as he gets better at making his reads, progressing through those reads, and then utilizing his batch of receivers as well. There's a lot of talent there. There's a lot of acceleration, the ability to get vertical for UCLA. I like the Bruins a lot. I like them this coming weekend, and I think the best is definitely yet to come for the team based out there in Westwood. Yeah, I'm, I'm rolling with the Pac-12 in those games, and I think Rosen needs it. He needs to get back on track as being a, a top-flight quarterback at college football. This is a chance to do it against a good BYU team. It's coming mm-hmm. off of a big win themselves. Here's my upset pick, though, of the week, and this is the game I've been looking at from the degenerate gambling perspective. Miami, Florida, get a three-and-a-half-point favorite over Appalachian State, a team that took Tennessee close, Bradford, and also is a – Top 40, top 50 team in a lot of polls in NCAA D1 FC, or FBS. Rather. I'm liking Appalachian State here. Very nice. Very nice. I'm not going to fight you on that one, my friend. I'm not going to fight you whatsoever. I like App State. I like what App State consistently does in the early portion of the schedule. I'm not going to sit here and say, yeah, that absolutely this team owns the month of September. But, hey, we know exactly what this team is capable of doing and really put a scare into the Volunteers just a couple of weeks ago, and call me a honk, call me a regional honk, if you will. I'm telling you, I'm not ready to officially commit to this pick just yet because, hey, we're still, for me, it's fairly early in the week, okay? It's hump day. It's still fairly early in the week, but I'm telling you right now, Mitch, I'm telling you right now that Missouri on Saturday versus Georgia, the Bulldogs better come to play, and I'll tell you why, because, yeah, better come to play. Better come to play. Because Drew Locke. I hope so, Bradford. I hope seven and a half points. I think, look, I I feel kind of bad for your Missouri Tigers, uh, given the direction the program appears to be going. But we've seen them beat Georgia before as massive underdogs. It was, what, a couple years ago when they pulled that off? That's right. Um, Hey, don't don't give sympathy, my friend. It's okay. You know what? Sympathy, it isn't required. (laughs) I'll tell you precisely why. I'll tell you precisely why. When you've got a quarterback coming off of a 450-yard game, a guy who is getting very, very acclimated, very well-adjusted to what Josh Heupel wants him to do in this new, newfangled, up-tempo Missouri offense. Missouri, a couple of weeks ago, and a couple of weeks ago in that game, ran 100 plays. It, that is foreign territory for the Missouri Tigers. Now, I'm not calling them the Oregon Ducks. I'm not about to say that this team is going to put up 60-plus points on a weekly basis as it did against Eastern Michigan last Saturday night. But this is the real This is the real home opener in Columbia, Missouri, this coming weekend. You've got to get up for this game. This team will be up for the game. This defense, we haven't seen, and that's been the calling card for Mizzou over the last few seasons. When the offense has failed to rise to the occasion, Barry Odom was a part of that last season as a defensive coordinator, now taking over as the head coach for Gary Pinkle. The defense hasn't been where he has wanted it to be for the first couple of weeks of the season, but against Georgia, Georgia to me, Mitch, is more vulnerable on the offensive side than a lot of people think, and not at the running back position. Don't get me mistaken there. Nick Chubb, I don't exactly know if he's back to vintage Nick Chubb yet. We saw a great game against North Carolina, but then against Nichols State, he barely averages four yards a carry. I don't know if the, the complete burst is back after that horrific knee injury. Georgia is going to have the number two threat of Sony Michelle back for this contest with a full week of practices under his belt. He missed the first week of the season, basically the first two weeks after that July 4th set of shenanigans broke his forearm. But when you're going with a freshman quarterback in an environment such as Mizzou, and I know how highly touted Jacob Eason is, but be careful really 
for what you wish right now. This is a legitimate number one style SEC defense. Jacob Eason has never had to go against a collection of athletes, a collection of defensive linemen, the likes of which Mizzou is going to present. There will be some growing pains. I really like Georgia a lot in the second half of the schedule, but they're going to have a difficult time unless Chubb absolutely goes off this coming Saturday. I'm telling you, it's a close one until the waning moments. Watch out for those Tigers. I know, and you get you get the night game, you get uh, the chance to really, you know, prove that you know Missouri's not dead and buried. So I'm 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 pulling for you guys, non-sympathetically here. I'm pulling for the Tigers in this one. Uh, as we stay in the SEC, a couple quick thoughts on some games this week. Auburn, Texas A&M, almost an elimination game in its own right for some contender, non-contenders. Auburn four-point favorites at home, even with the one loss. I like Auburn though in that one. I think they're slightly the better team. And then LSU is a 15-point favorite, Bradford over Mississippi State. I wouldn't favor LSU 15 points over the flag football team that plays across the street from me on Saturday morning. So I think that's just a chance to give them over anybody uh, based on that offense, um, which is a tribute to the three yards in a cloud of dust that uh, Woody Hayes ran for the Buckeyes in the 60s. But I think we'd be in a quarterback controversy if we tried out at LSU. Well, I'll just put it that way. Well, I'm going to have to text Leonard Fournette and see what his health status is right now. So I'll get on that. I should have done it prior to our conversation. I do apologize yeah. for that. But in all, yeah. in all seriousness, what is what impedes Les Miles from finding in any given year any sort of a just a competent, a competent signal caller, a competent really- signal caller for that team, please, really? What is it? I don't, I don't know, and then I'm not saying LSU's not going to win this game over a Mississippi State team that's lost to Jacksonville State already uh, this year. But the yeah. offense is so boring. How are they going to run away from everybody? I, this has got 17 to six written all over it. It really I does. Think. I mean, yeah, if you're Mississippi State, why don't you? Uh, why would you not stack the box on each and every oh. snap? And it's it's as vanilla as it gets. And I don't care how many athletes you have up front. I don't care how athletic how strong how physically imposing your offensive line is but when the other team knows precisely what is coming and you know those guys those guys recruited as well it's not as if michigan or for mississippi state the coverage is bare when it comes to defensive talent they're going to meet you hat on hat and they're going to play you extremely hard yeah 15 right now at that point that's extremely generous toward lsu i'm not seeing that big of a number i don't see it now, in the other game we I just mentioned Auburn and A and M. I do like Auburn. Mm-hmm. I want to see some. Uh, I want to see some of uh, Franklin at quarterback, though. You know, the, the last chance, you arrogant superstar. I want to see what he can do at signal caller. And my quick point on A and M Bradford is that while they look good against UCLA in that win, there's always doubts that whenever that first loss happens, and it will happen, that that program you know has a little bit of I'd call it front runner tendencies. When the wheels fall off, they do fall off. And we yeah. start to see undisciplined behavior on and off the field. We start to see some uncoachable uh, moments as well. So I think it could happen. Auburn's a good team. I think they win. Well, maybe if that does indeed, Mitch, come to fruition, we are due uh, at Texas A&M for somebody to transfer already, right, at the quarterback position. As it's been it's been too long, right? So let's see, a couple of weeks in. Yeah, that would be about right. <laughs> Who needs a quarterback in the Big 12? We'll see. They're probably, you know, just – refreshing the A&M depth chart every day, hoping that there's an adjustment there. Um, and then the last game, I don't know if, if the upset's in play, but we do get that taste of conference play, as we mentioned, in the Pac-12. Stanford and Southern Cal, USC. 
Stanford, six and a half points, only as a favorite at home. Now, this is a rivalry game. Do you see McCaffrey going crazy like he did in last year's Pac-12 championship game against the Trojans, or do the Southern Cal team, does the Southern Cal team that got thoroughly embarrassed by Alabama bounce back? I don't know if McCaffrey is going to be able, Mitch, to have his typical interstellar performance or something that will absolutely transcend uh, space and time. But let's just say this. He's going to be darn good yet again. And for me, that's going to be plenty, plenty enough for Stanford to be able to pull out a decisive victory here. Uh, listen, I didn't feel as if USC really warranted having that lofty preseason ranking, fairly lofty, let's, let's be honest there. And then to go out and absolutely embarrass itself in a neutral site game, I mean, I would have understood somewhat, somewhat, if Alabama had absolutely handed it to the Trojans to that excessive of a degree in Tuscaloosa. But when you're talking about a game, really, the, it was prime time, it was ABC, it was Saturday night, it was in Jerry's world, okay? And you were going up against Alabama. You had a chance to display to the nation, hey, here we go. It really is the start of our new regime, so to speak. It's the start of a new identity. It's the start of a new thing. We're building once again. We're going to be Trojan strong out there in Southern California. We're taking California back. And then you go out with that sort of performance. I just think there's too much inconsistency on both sides of the football. Stanford is as rock-solid as a program there is in the Pac-12. I wouldn't be surprised, shocked whatsoever, if once again you see the Cardinal competing for a spot in the Final Four as the season wears on. And to me, I'm just I'm finished buying into, into the hope, the hype, the hope, whatever H word you actually prefer, I'm finished when it comes to USC until I see some tangible results on a weekly basis. Honestly, you all right, if you go, you upset Stanford, you then make it a pretty close game. It is in question well into the fourth quarter, you've got my attention again. You're opening my eyes to some extent. But until you actually do that and do it somewhat consistently against a good caliber of competition, I'm just, I'm finished buying into the hype train because there's a lot of flash, there's a lot of sizzle, there's not that much in the way of substance out in La La Land. So I'm sorry, I'm off, I'm officially off America, the USC bandwagon. I wrote it for too long. I can't do it. I'm off just like the old uh, Reggie Bush dollar was that Lindale White who flew off the building a few years ago. Yeah, I think Lindale, but yeah. I, I, <laughs> no, yeah, it was, it was uh, maybe Reggie. I'm not sure, but I, I get the reference. And it, it, it was a running you're either, back. Yeah. You're either one week early or one week too uh, late, depending on what's going to happen this uh, Saturday. But look, it's gut check time for, Matt, for uh, Max Brown, the quarterback uh-huh. USC. Because the one weakness I've noticed with Stanford is they can be thrown on. And I'm not going to give him a pass for the Alabama beatdown, but the line was beat up. Bama's probably the best team in the country. Okay, you're your first start. You're not going to have a good game. But this is the game. Your team needs you, and and you're going to need to put up some points. So I think it can be close given that it's a rivalry game and given that SC has had a chance to finally take a breath after that beatdown. But – McCaffrey, I mean, I, I, we're, we're watching this game. Most people that watch this game outside of the Stanford and USC fan bases are watching it for this guy. And you mentioned mm-hmm. Interstellar. You know, I rewatched that movie recently, and I fully expected to, uh, to see him when, at the end when Matthew McConaughey was floating through the uh, bookcase without giving the spoiler away, just a McCaffrey run of some sort. But, no, I, I think uh, I like Stanford in this game. I like them to cover. Um, I think they got, and they're a team that's looking to make a statement. You know, don't forget about us. We're we're the we're the best. Oh, we'll, we'll throw it one more time. Standard bearer of the Pac-12. We oh, might yeah. be part of 
playoff picture, and I think this is a good way to do it. Remember, they lost to Northwestern week one last year, and it took them a while to get back up, you know, on their high horse. So, I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. and you're still talking about USC. You're still talking about how many countless various eyeballs are going to be on this contest. There are so many games to indulge in, to watch, to really get excited about this weekend, but there's always going to be that mystique that sort of aura that's attached that's surrounding the USC game, right? And so you've got USC and Stanford, and it's a great opportunity for McCaffrey to once again stake a claim to maybe being the guy to officially take home the hardware this coming season, or at least, yes, at the very least, submit a great initial effort and build on that because there's no doubt in my mind that he's going to be making a trip back to New York this season. Is he going to take home the actual honor? I'm not sure about that, but, hey, a great spellbinding performance in week number three versus USC. That does nothing but help the cause, no doubt about it. Well, that's we're just about done here on the Money Mitch Effect. Bradford, that was a great discussion on uh, college football that we're definitely going to have to get into as the season progresses more and more. Mm-hmm. Um, before I let you go, though, I know you're obviously a big baseball guy out in St. Louis with your, with your Cardinals that are, you know, hovering around that playoff picture. You optimistic? What's the what's the word in St. Louis on the baseball sense? I know those pesky Cubs just keep winning. Um, congrats on not letting them clinch in your city, but yeah, you're right there in the wild card race. I mean, it's uh, you're hovering. Hovering, yes, that's that's a great way of, of putting putting it, Mitch. And you know, coming off of today's riveting seven and nothing defeat at the hands of the Cubby Spirits are just at an all time high here in the Gateway City. No, this is quite frankly, we understand having gone through the better part of the season now in two thousand and sixteen for the Cardinals, Mitch, and having watched consistently the Cardinals do nothing but continue to disappoint the home crowd in particular. That's been the most striking aspect, the most disappointing aspect of this campaign another loss today another loss series as the cubs take two of three in all likelihood they're going to clinch the division tomorrow opening up a series versus the brewers a four pack there the cardinals simply can't get things moving in a positive direction whatsoever at home and this is going to be the first time since the new bush stadium three opened near the turn of the new century that this team is going to have a losing record for the season it's assured now at home and If the Cardinals are unable to make it into the playoffs and entering today's play, they were a half game behind New York, the surging Mets at that for the final wildcard spot in the National League. You have to look back to just a plethora of failed outings at home. This team has been very good on the road. It's been extremely counterintuitive, but at home, unable to get things right. And even today, to wit, you've got Carlos Martinez, who is involved into the ace of this staff, really, in name, yes, the organization, it's still pumping up Adam Wainwright. You don't want to let go of what you had in the past. You love Wainwright. He's revered. He's the veteran. He's done so much for your organization. But now the velocity is more than a kickoff. The off-speed stuff, he's not pulling the string on the curveball. He's not locating the off-speed repertoire with the same degree of regularity. Carlos Martinez has evolved into your ace of the staff. And yet today, big time mounting. It's your last test at home this season versus Chicago to do something to inflict some damage. He gives up a number of different runs. He loses head-to-head to John Lester, a pitcher who's very comparable to him, who's having a Cy Young caliber season. This could have been another statement game for the Cardinals prior to having to head out to the West Coast in San Francisco. But the Cardinals can't get it done. And now they're faced with a situation, faced with a weekend, Mitch, that I would argue really will come to define their 2016 four games versus the Giants, who currently own that number one wild card spot. 
still somehow inexplicably behind the Dodgers, despite all of L.A.'s injuries out in the NL West, as you well know. If you fail to take three or four, in my opinion, from the Giants, if you fail to really show up in this kind of series, I'm not sure how you can stake a claim to any sort of spot in the last couple of weeks. And it's really surprising for a team with so much potential for the young arms that are bandied about for a lot of the veteran bats that are still held in very high esteem. But the fact of the matter is that the Cardinals have been extremely sloppy in the field all season long, have been extremely bad in terms of really converting with runners in scoring position after the month of May, with the exception of the number three man, Stephen Piscotty, who's hitting well over 300 in those particular spots. It has been a down season for the Cardinals, and yet here we are with a couple of weeks remaining, still talking about maybe having a chance to sneak into the back door of the playoffs. I'll be honest, I'll be very pragmatic here. I don't think it's going to happen. This team is not deserving of one of those final spots. You still have an opportunity, Mitch, but I'm telling you, for the first time in a long while, I don't expect that that fervor to really be surrounding Bush Stadium when the calendar flips to October. It's going to take a it's going to take a minor miracle, my friend. Well, you got to like, you know, Bud Selig on the way out the door, getting that second wild card spot in and giving hope to dozens almost of teams in Major League Baseball. Um, but, yeah, no, I think it's it's exciting down the stretch. I know it's a different position for the Cardinal fans, um, but a lot of races to kind of be to be sought after for. I'm still holding out hope I could see in the World Series in that Indians-Cardinals uh, showdown. You know, we'll see. That would be um, nice. Given that head to head. Yeah. This year, but. The one thing that I'm a little uh, hesitant about is their record against good teams. I've been kind of noticing that over the course of the last couple months, and I'm a little, you know, scared of playing a good team in a series based on what's happened in the regular season. But no, pitching's good. I can't complain right now. No, Cleveland, and I'll tell you what, from afar, my friend, I have been following the Indians' batch of young powerhouse, powerhouse arms, too, and so many people here in St. Louis like to point at the future and think about what's to be expected from top guys like Reyes and Weaver as well. You've already got the established individuals who are still extremely young there in Cleveland. And I I don't know, I'll be honest too, from top to bottom in the lineup as well. I, I wouldn't necessarily classify Mr. Carlos Santana as your quintessential leadoff man, but you know what? Driving balls out of the yard too and finding a way to just make things happen offensively to manufacture whenever necessary too. This year, I never would have expected, especially with Michael Brantley being able to contribute nothing due to injury for the offense he had to generate as much as it has and for Terry Francona to have spearheaded this team to put it in the position it currently is, setting up with the bullpen as well, how it aligns, potentially going into the playoffs. I think the Indians, honestly, no question about it, set up as well, have as good of a chance as any squad out there maybe to make it all the way to the fall classic. Well, we're all hopeful about it. Uh, but, yeah, I think it's just an exciting time for baseball. And, um, obviously, as an Indians fan, you could look at a number of teams like the Rangers, like the Muddleness and the uh, AL East, the Nationals, and, and your Cardinals even still holding out hope. I think it's a good time of year for baseball. It's time to get locked into the final stretch. But we'll save that for another time. Bradford, thanks for uh, coming on the Money Mitch Effect. Appreciate it. I know we both kind of can get long-winded. But, no, this is good. <laughs> we broke down a lot. We touched a lot of lives today, I think. I wholeheartedly agree. It is always a pleasure, my friend, connecting Midwest to the West Coast in this instance. And, yeah, happy to be a part of your endeavor here. I'm not going to say it's any sort of a startup endeavor because I know about the credentials you bring to the table. I know that you're bringing heat on more than a weekly basis from what I understand. And, yeah, just keep it going, my friend. And anytime, yeah, you want to 
touch base about any sort of college football minutia too. We've we've got the people covered. Big stories and small. We can get detail oriented. Don't don't throw long winded out there. We're just we're very hey. We love to explain things. We love to paint a very succinct. Well, okay, it's not a succinct picture. Who am I fooling? Yeah, well, we we do our best. I think everybody realizes that and appreciates <laughs> it, even when it flies off the handle. But Bradford, thanks again. Bradford Bruns here on the Money Mitch Effect. We will definitely be in touch, and you'll be on here very soon. Have a great evening. All right, big thanks again to Bradford Bruns for coming on the Money Mitch Effect and shooting the sports breeze with me. We're two long-winded guys that love to talk about sports, college football especially, so that was good uh, to have him on. And you can catch Bradford on 590 KFNS The Fan in St. Louis and also uh, on PrepCast Broadcasting Network. That's where we worked together back uh, in the day. So uh, catch him calling high school sporting events and some collegiate sporting events in the greater St. Louis area. One of the best at that. Um Later on this week, we got some big uh, developments going into uh, the weekend and next week. Uh, we're going to try to clean up the show a little bit in terms of uh, some musical production elements and sound quality as well. But the World Cup of Hockey is starting. I'm really excited about that as a hockey lifer myself. And uh, the NFL and college football seasons keep rolling along, so don't want to miss that. Keep listening. Uh, all the podcasts are on SoundCloud and at my Mitch Michaels' Facebook uh, account, as well as my Twitter account, MoneyMitchM21 is my Twitter handle. So, uh, till next time, thank you, as always, for listening. Take care, everybody.